Welcome back to Rotten Rewind, a podcast that looks back on the most critically maligned films that we can find on the review aggregate site, RottenTomatoes.com, if a film fails to score above the 60% threshold that they deem as their freshness score, we get to talk about it right here on this podcast. I, yeah. I feel like I don't have puns anymore when we don't write a script. I know. I really have to at concentrate it, at that. Yeah. I don't know what I would do. I guess the off, Office Killer, you could probably do a punny you come one. with some puns. Oh, no. Well, this is the finale. This of, is a finale. Yeah. Of... Of, no uh, more women. Of no <laughs> more women. We will never. We did it. <laughs> we did our part for the year of uh, supporting back. female filmmakers. And now we're done. No, we are finishing off our vulgar female gay series with the two definitely most obscure titles of the series. One is from Cindy Sherman in her only, only film, Office Killer. And the other is from... The great Adrian Shelley, who just only directed three films for her death in 2006 and are all pretty great from what I can tell. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we'll be talking about I'll Take You There. And we're joined by a first time guest and our first actual director of this series, which has been really nice, Giselle Bonilla. Hello. Hello. Welcome. Hello. Retired bartender. It sounded um, like you said the tired bartender, and I was like, the yeah, tired bar- you yeah, yeah, same. I feel like that a lot. We're broken and tired talking about two movies that I don't think many people have seen because one of them, I'll take you there. I you can find on YouTube. Amazingly, yeah, you can find some 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 good ones on YouTube. Actually, Way is that where both of you watched it? Yes. Yeah, I watched it. Yeah, I didn't watch Office Killer though. I'm looking it up right now, and it looks. I'm. I'm really sad that I missed it out. <laughs> I thought I was only talking about Adrian Shelley. Oh no, that's okay. Right? We'll do that. Yeah, it's okay. I'm sorry. That's I thought I. I should have been more specific. I apologize. No, 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 no. That's fine. How about Courtney just gives her dissertation on Office Killer? And no, like, we can. Yeah. We can do. I'll take you there first, and then just record it out of order. It's all good. I'm not gonna make you. We're not gonna make you. Uh, Listen to us talk about a movie that you haven't seen. I'll just dissociate. No, 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 no. It's okay. Yeah, just fucking Chris Pine. Um, <laughs> no, we did. It. No, I don't know if we've done that. We did. Ac- we did accidentally have a guest watch a really bad movie one time that we didn't end up covering. What was? Oh, it was the Seeking a Friend for the End of the World that Morgan had to watch. I love I'm sure Morgan. It couldn't That's have been fine. That. It couldn't have been that bad. Couldn't have happened to a better guy. Office <laughs> Killer looks sick. Like just from the stills, I'm. I'm Office Killer is fun. It's fun. I saw it last year for the first time because it was on Criterion for, I think, just October. And then, yeah, I'd never even heard of it. And then I watched it then. It's like 80 minutes. Yeah, you can watch it while we talk about I'll Take You There. (laughs) You can small time. Christine Bashan produced it. That's so This was, yeah, this is, I think, the movie that inspired her production company, Killer Films. Are you serious? Yeah. So this was supposed to be a part of a series. It was supposed to be a part of a series of horror movies that were going to be made uh, on super low budget. So they were all going to be $300,000 budgets, which is what Office Killer was. I had a hard time finding how Cindy Sherman got involved outside of like just being in like it the New like York It seemed like she was like scene. kind of friends with- I think uh, she's probably friends with yeah. Todd Haynes and Todd because Todd Haynes did a revision on the script. So I'm assuming that's- because there's a lot of people involved that I feel like are probably all connected. Like the scores by Evan Lurie, John Lurie's brother- so I feel like I know they all probably I don't know. And it like isn't she buddies with like John Waters and shit? Yeah, that makes sense. And it, Cindy Sherman is? I think I so. I think so, yeah. 
so yeah it was her first and only movie she didn't have a good experience with it it got picked up by dimension films which was the wine scenes and then like a lot of uh wine scene movies from the 90s that were difficult it just got dumped it got released around christmas 1997 which is a really weird time to release that movie yeah that's fucking really weird so nobody really i think saw it at the time and then it was like critically panned and then i guess like in the last few years has kind of been reevaluated. i know it, it like screened a lot in new york it screened to like metrograph and moma like film forum and then yeah and then it was on criterion last year but there's not like a proper release of it anywhere else for the last 16 years doreen douglas has worked at constant consumer magazine without a promotion she was quiet doris sit conservative it's doreen and inconspicuous (gasps) excuse me until the day today's the big day they fired half the staff it's a massacre for this unassuming copy editor Keeping her job becomes an opportunity to do a little corporate downsizing of her own. Doreen, you're done, but you come hold the light. For everyone that's ever punched a clock comes a dark comedy about what happens when the clock starts punching back. Carol Kane. Look at this mess. I am going to have to clean it up. Molly Ringwald. I can hear someone breathing. Who is this? Gene Triplehorn. Let's go to lunch. <laughs> no! Office killer. Oh, you're a lifesaver. Not at all. All right. So we will be joined again later in the show by our guest to talk about Adrian Shelley's I'll Take You There. But for now, it'll be just the two of us talking about mm. Cindy Sherman's first and only feature film, Office Killer, from 1997, a movie that was, as we mentioned, was made in part as a deal with producer Christina Vachon and Todd Haynes as like a low budget horror movie. It then was picked up by Dimension Films, the wine scenes like specialty division of Miramax in the 90s. They dumped it. Nobody really saw it. It got horrible reviews. This movie has a 12%. Let's just go put that out there. A 12%, 51% audience score, but has since been reevaluated since it has screened in New York and on Criterion last year. Office Killer sort of is like a, I would say, a precursor to a lot of things. Oddly prescient in a lot of ways today, but I think also very much a part of the kind of droll 90s satire of office culture and corporate culture. Um, It comes out two years before Office Space. It comes out the same year as a movie that I really love. And I think you like too, Clockstoppers. Oh yeah, Clock Watchers? Clock clock Watchers, not Clockstoppers. Not Clockstoppers, the 2002 movie with Jesse Bradford. Clock Watchers. (laughs) Just a fucking great 90s comedy with Parker Posey and Tony Collette. But yeah, this movie is, it kind of toes the line between a horror movie and a comedic kind of satire on office culture it's a newspaper correct like a publication where there are going to be a series of budget cuts forcing some people to be laid off and others to work from home specifically their editor doreen who is technically a nepotism hire because her father worked at the company played by carol king is forced to work from home which begins to unravel a very deep psychosis inside of her oh i just realized that both movies today are ex breakfast club yeah yeah we get molly ringwald yeah yeah yeah. did you do that on purpose 
No, no. Bravo. They work for a magazine called Constant Consumer Magazine. <laughs> so yeah, Doreen Douglas, played by Carol Kane, is forced to work from home where she lives with her very old and very sick mother, played by Alice Drummond, who will be also in the next film. I'll take you there. Um, as a very kind grandmother. Her face is very familiar. She yeah. just, yeah. Yeah, she's in Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, Ghostbusters. Uh, I always think of her as the old woman in Synecdoche, New York, who calls Philip Seymour Hoffman, young lady. So Doreen is forced to work from home, which causes her to unravel. How would you describe Doreen? She's like a very... I think that like the term that maybe even the film uses, but I think that like women use about other women is mousy. Yeah. But you know, like Carol Kane's voice is also really famous. Like she yes. has like a little whisper. I mean, I was first introduced to her. I'm not this old, but my family, like I watch a lot of Naked Night. She plays Latka's wife on, who is um, Andy. The Kaufman. Guy. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, taxi. She, and like, yeah, yeah. honestly, I think that she is so funny in Taxi. But yeah, she sort of has like a quivering voice and she's just sort of like soft spoken and timid. And she reminds me, honestly, of like a certain kind of woman that I worked with at a bookstore that I used to work at, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, like all the women that she works with, they sort of embody stereotypes. They're more girl bossy than her, for sure, the other two women in the film. Yeah, like Molly Ringwald is supposed to be, she plays Kim, who's like supposed to be kind of like the bitch of the office. She's like a little more hip and she smokes. And then there's Jean Triplehorn um, as Nora, who's kind of supposed to she's be kind like- of a bitch too. She is kind of a bitch too. Yeah, she's almost like supposed They're to- kind Yeah, everyone kind of sucks. I, was like, I kind of think I like Molly Ringwald's character a little more than I like- Yeah, 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 yeah. Triplehorn's yeah. character, yeah. Yeah, you get um, a woman who I didn't put this together, but when I was reading a review, described basically their boss as like a Ariana Huffington type. So I guess it was supposed to be kind of like a take on her. And then you have the really scummy, I, I guess he's just one of their co-workers, Gary Michaels, who's higher up in the company. And then you get a very young Michael Imperioli. Yeah. Returns to the podcast. Fuck yeah. Young Michael Imperioli. You get Eric, Bog an uncredited Eric Bogosian in flashbacks as uh, Doreen's father. And yeah, basically Doreen just starts uh, killing everybody in the office. Well, the first- The first one's an accident. Is accidental. To, and like, also that guy is so comically a dick. Like he, at some point- Yes. She just like uses the bathroom before he dies and he just yells at her, you're pathetic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's like, a piece of shit. He, I was trying to figure out where I fucking knew him from. And he has been on the podcast before in a very random part that I'm sure you will. He's been on the podcast twice, actually. He plays Rachel McAdams' dad in The Notebook. And then he plays no. Ben Foster and Anton Yelkin's dad in Alpha Dog. So clearly Nick Cassavetes and him are boys. Okay. Um, yeah, his name is David Thornton. I was like, where the fuck do I know this he's guy He's pretty funny. Yeah, he's very funny. Everyone's pretty fun, I think. I mean, Jean Triplehorn doesn't really get to have fun. She just kind of has to be like the... The bitch. Kind of, yeah. She's like the boring audience surrogate slash like almost final girl, I guess, but not really. Kind of. I, no, I think of Ringwald as an audience surrogate slash final girl. Well, I guess none of them almost are, which is like what's kind of interesting about well, it. Like it does kind uh, of... Ringwald's the character that is smart enough to put it together. For sure. She's like the only one that suspects Doreen. Everybody else is like, oh, Doreen is just like weird. Doreen and... can't do that. She just, she's a cat lady. She's a loser. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everyone basically. just thinks she's a fucking loser. Was this you? This was your first time watching it? 
Yeah. And I, it took me a while to sink into, like, I understand why it didn't get good reviews. I kind of like, I feel like we talk about this a lot for movies of this era. Like even, I think we just like did one, the cheerleader one. Sugar and spice. Yeah. Yeah. Where I'm like, I just wish it would just like lean in a little more. I do think that like some of the final moments of this movie are like so spectacular. It definitely feels like it doesn't fully lean into the potential of it. And I'm assuming that a lot of that is, Cindy Sherman is an artist and a photographer who I'm not as familiar with her art. I, I definitely am not as... I like, was shocked that she even did a movie, and especially a movie this, like, kind of commercial and, like, poppy. Right. Because, like, her art does lean... Not... I wouldn't call it experimental, but... But what I did think of, like, while I was watching this, I was like, oh, like, she... Like, she's, like, a shape-shifty woman. And I think that, like, in the end, that's what this is about. Like, it, it's sort of about, like, types, like you were saying. Right. Um, I just wish that it would, like, have gone a little further. But that said, like, it's a really, really, really fun... Halloween town nighttime watch I guess the mystery of the movie is like why why does she like take to killing and it seems like when she was little and she like saw violence she was like intrigued by it and managed to like press that urge down but then once it's in front of her again she she has to work from home yeah (laughs) everything falls apart like insane yeah then she had yeah. like a full-on murder basement very much like a lot of people who were forced to uh, work from home during covid which obviously a lot of people are grateful to be working from home and should be working from home to yeah. save themselves a uh, commute but yeah a lot of people don't do too well um having to work from home it's also funny how everybody in the office is sick too and just like mm-hmm. knowingly just spreading sickness to each other which is definitely like a big thing in workplaces where you're like i don't know like i think back before covid of like and, oh, and yeah. i know a lot of restaurants even still are like pretty lenient with it or like oh yeah it's if like, you're sick they're like yeah if you're not like, dying you sick? come in how yeah sick? yeah i'm like I'm, I'm touching food yeah you don't want me to come in like we do actually yeah <laughs> and i also it. think that the movie is a lot darker than i expected it to be sure like it fully murders children yeah, she murders two Girl Scout cookies. Two, uh, two, Girl, two, two Scout. Girl Scouts. Sorry. She murders two Girl Scouts who were trying to sell cookies uh, to her. You know, I think the most fun thing is what she starts to do with the bodies, which is she basically saves yeah. them all in her basement and basically creates her own little uh, friend circle with all of her dead like coworkers. A yeah, yeah, yeah. She has all of her dead coworkers propped up on the couch. Some of them are still like typing on computers. The basement set piece is so fucking wonderful. It, it's that. like, worth watching the movie for it's so fucking cool and i do think carol king kane is good here i just like wish that it like we spent more time with her a little bit because i never you kind of have to piece together why she's doing what she's doing and also like the last two kills are really suspenseful where i feel like the movie is like really rushing to get to its final 20 minutes or its sure. final 15 minutes which i think is like its best segment um, and I just wish it would have like taken its time a little more. Yeah, I mean, um, it, it seems like it's a little unsure, like our next movie of what tone to fully commit to and like mm-hmm. what it exactly wants to be. It does still have like such a kind of singular weird vibe about it that I really dig. Yeah, I was reading a interview with Cindy Sherman in the New York Times from 2016 yeah, I guess like it doesn't really talk about how she got involved. It just says she was invited in 1996 to direct a horror feature called Office Killer. When it came out, the New York Times art critic Roberta Smith described it as a fascinating, if lumpish bit of Sherman mania. While Miss Smith's um, movie critic colleague Stephen Holden panned it, um, which we can talk about with critics, uh, panned it and called it sadly inept. 
Stream today, individual scenes come off as promisingly Shermanesque, but the whole of it gets bogged down in wooden acting and camp that feels dated. Miss Sherman isn't ashamed of the effort. She still gets a kick out of its gore, but she recognizes that 20 years of working alone in the studio may not have been the best preparation for a movie's team effort. Miss Weiner blames the movie's failure, if it was that, on who Miss Sherman was at the time. As a director, she wasn't comfortable telling people what to do. Two decades oh. further on, the artist said she can't guarantee that she'll turn out to have more skills as a director, but she's pretty sure she'll be better at fitting the role. In some ways, I am better equipped to understand what I want and to make other people understand what I want as well. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Like you're working I don't think in... that anyone's bad in it, though. No, I, I, some people don't like Carol Kane in it, which I think is crazy. I think she's such a blast. I, I just can't imagine the movie without Carol Kane. I don't know. That does make sense, though. Like the idea of like having to work in an artistic background where it is very like solitary and it's not very like team oriented. Mm -hmm. And then to have to come on to something like it is an interesting transition, especially to go into this particular genre. From what I can tell from her work, it seems like a pretty interesting leap. Um, I mean, I think it's really campy. Like once I found out that like Tom Haynes isn't like involved, right. I was like, oh, this makes a lot of sense. I just wish it would have gotten like another pat. Like I, I like this movie. I think it's really fun. And I like, I mean, I, and I especially like that she doesn't get caught. I think that there's yeah. something very gone girl about the very ending, but she like makes herself over to be like a hottie at the end. And like, right. she's calling new places. It's like the inverted scene of when you find out that Amy's alive in gone girl, where she like looks, I mean, she's still hot, but like unbuttons her pants and is eating a, like a cheeseburger where here she's just like getting dolled up and calling places to work and I you're supposed to assume that she's like going to keep killing but like I do like that she doesn't get punished because I feel like that would make the movie kind of pointless and like boring and I did think there was like something really interesting there that that is like touched upon in like those movies you talked about like clock watchers and, and office space and obviously that was like a big thing in the late 90s with even in like Fight Club, like this this anti-corporate satirical tone that everything was taking on. Yeah, and I thought it was interesting. I, I read this piece on it that that put it into words way better than I could because I did think it was interesting how like you really only see the characters existing outside of uh, during, like you only see them existing through work and then like having a drink after work and just being Yeah, I was going to say, there's that weird, horrible bar scene that I'm like, you guys yeah. don't like each other and should not be hanging out. yeah. It's just like this culture of people that are so, their lives revolve around their jobs and they're also clearly miserable. But there was a piece that this writer, Felipe Snow, wrote in Apollo magazine about the film um, last year, where she said Sherman's film suggested in a corporate and capitalist environment, not working, not being within the office, functioning as a cog in the machine is tantamount to death or at the very least can drive a person mad. In the film's last scene, when Doreen has burned her house down and abandoned her original identity, fleeing the city in a blonde wig with her office manager's head stuffed into her duffel bag, she is still circling job listings in the paper, looking for a new position. It's a good joke, albeit a depressing one. Given free reign to reinvent herself, she cannot picture anything more unusual or outrageous than a different admin job, a different desk, a different boot to pulverize her in exchange for what is presumably given that she is a copywriter and insulting wage. Yeah. The thing is, like, yeah, it's a really kind of sad insight into the movie. Is like, this woman goes on this killing spree, and then leaves town, reinvents herself, and is like just going to return to the Their same environment work. that she was in because yeah. that's all she knows. And it is interesting. Like, I never thought about the fact that like this woman is a nepotism hire technically <laughs> um, yeah. because of her dad, which I think is also really interesting because she is like that person that you work with that is like you're just like, why is this person still here? Like, why? And you feel bad making fun of her. Right. But it's also hard to not. 
yeah, she's kind of an easy target. And like some people try to be a little bit more sympathetic to her, like Michael Imperioli's character. Yeah, he's kind of nice. He's yeah, like, he, he tries. But also like his way of being nice to her is also him underestimating her. Like even the character right. that like considers himself, like I like him in this movie, but like considers himself a good guy. It's like, no, but she's harmless. That's also insulting. No, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think that's true. Right before the actual finale where the, she's like driving, like we just talked about, where like all the bodies like do come to life again in the fire and like yeah. have like, a tea party is like actually so spooky yeah. and cool. And I just think that it's like worth the watch. I do wish there was like a little more weird shit scattered throughout it because if it's going to be weird and you're going to kill Girl Scouts and really linger on their corpse for as long yeah. as you do, just know that like people aren't going to like it. So you might as well go really weird so the people who do kind of like it, like it a lot. Well, it seems like she, based on like what I could tell, like she was brought into the movie. It was a pre-existing script. She brought on Todd Haynes to rewrite some of the dialogue and rework some stuff with her. And she was like far more interested in her like creating this imaginary environment for her bodies in the basement than what she actually like did to the bodies themselves and i think the producers were like no like it's a horror movie like we need to make it more gory and she like i guess just wasn't very interested in that yeah that shows yeah Yeah, but it also shows like that she had care for the other things more and honestly that's the scariest part of it is the basement and like being around the bodies and like being around them reanimated for sure yeah 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 Yeah, and i disagree with anyone that says that like the acting's bad i think the acting yeah it's weird how much people didn't really like like i like molly ringwald in it like she's she like sells like that certain kind of office bitch pretty well like sure michael imperioli is good like i think it's i think the acting's totally fine i yeah gene triplehorn's career i think we talked about her a little bit when we did basic instinct Waterworld. Oh yeah, and Waterworld. I think, yeah, sorry. I think Waterworld's the most. I, I think that she's had a very strange career. Well, I guess she was on that show, The Gilded Age. She was on Undone. She's on Undone. Apparently, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, she's in Gloria Bell briefly, but she hasn't really done a ton. Like she mostly does TV. She was on that show, Big Love, for like five years. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I guess I've also like haven't seen a lot of movies where she has been able to. She's not the star in very many. I oh, I feel like she kind of plays like the person that's like set back a little bit. I think that Waterworld was one of her bigger. Oh, is she the wife in the firm? She is. Yeah. So it seems oh, like she kind of she kind of comes out swinging in the early nineties. She like she does one TV movie and then she gets Basic Instinct, and then she does The Firm and Waterworld. So she does these like huge movies, like pretty much back to back. Obviously, Waterworld's a bomb. It's not her I was going to say, they will, but we all know what happened to Waterworld. Right. She's on the Ben Stiller show. She's in Reality Bites. She's in two very 90s rom-coms. I've never seen, but I very much remember when they were out called Till There Was You with Dermot Mulroney. Or no, with Dylan McDermott, sorry. Uh, and Sarah Jessica Parker. And then she's in Sliding Doors with Gwyneth Paltrow. I've definitely seen Sliding Doors. Sliding Doors is kind of um, Lake House-esque where it's like, what right. if this Oh, would yeah, happen? yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, and then she's um, in Mickey Blue Eyes. <laughs> fucking did not see Mickey Blue Eyes. You ever Eyes. seen Mickey I Blue Eyes with you, Brent? No, I've never seen it. I like Dream Trouble Horn. I think she's like obviously really stunning. And I, I like, I don't know. She doesn't, you're right. She doesn't have the most to do here, but like she's great in everything else. Like She it's plays not Jackie O in the Grey Gardens TV movie. Fuck, I feel like I could have guessed that she played She's like Jackie James Morrison playing John Kennedy. 
Listen, I got no beef with Gene Triplehorn. Right, yeah, you have no beef with Gene Triplehorn? I got no beef. Yeah, so this movie, one of the lower rated movies we've talked about in a long time, 12%. Wild. Pretty crazy. Yeah, like we said, Stephen Holden of the New York Times said, it doesn't offer a single moment of visceral or emotional electricity. Mark Sublove of the Austin Chronicle said, it's more disturbing than finding half a cockroach in a fluffer nutter sandwich. Why? I don't know. Edward Guthman of the San Francisco Chronicle said it can't decide what it wants to be, slasher fest, social satire, or revenge comedy, and ends up being an awkward goulash. Manola Dargis of LA Weekly said, some of this is insulting. All of it is tedious. Derek Elliott of Variety said, deep six by klutzy direction, a mostly sophomoric sophomoric performances, and a script so flat, it isn't even laughably bad. Mm -hmm. Office killer sinks like a stone. Motherfuckers. I don't understand Common for, the, for office killer. The criticism, yeah. Hey, what are you gonna do? It's been revived though. People, people like it now. I, I'm assuming it's gonna get some sort of a good Blu-ray release or something like that, since it doesn't have one yet. Who's your MVP? Mm, Carol Kane. Yeah, I feel like it's got to be Carol Kane. I'm gonna say this is a cult classic. This is a oh for cult sure. Classic. There's like no. Yeah, did Cindy Sherman never want to make him another movie or? I don't know. It seems like this was just such a not good experience for her. Okay. Yeah. doesn't seem like she was interested in making anything after this. Bill has been dumped by his wife. We didn't mean for it to happen, Bill. It just happened. Now she's shacking up with his best friend. I have two very important words for you. Rebound. It's called get up and recover. So the healing process must begin. You need to have sex. I set up a date for you. No, Lucy. N-O. No. Hi. You're a little pathetic. Pathetic might be the wrong word. You're crazy. Bingo. I just robbed a store. I'm losing my mind and it's all your fault. Now she can't let go of him. I'm not the same anymore. What happened to you? You. To me. He can't let go of his ex-wife. You gotta get her back, or you gotta kill yourself. And neither of them can hang on to their sanity. Shoot us! First, shoot me. Then, shoot Bill. I got a gun, too, and I'll shoot. I mean it. Boom! I thought you said that gun wasn't loaded. I didn't check. I'll take you there. I have, like, a weird... My old, my old neighbor... When I started grad school, I like lived with my ex of like four years who, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like um, our neighbor, she's lived there for 21 years and she's like oh very, like, she's very much so like that Rosemary's baby type neighbor where she knows everything. Mm-hmm. She like, like looked me up when I was like, look, she was the one giving the tour of the apartment for some reason. Cause she's lived there for so long. The landlord didn't care. And he was like, you just handle it. Cause it was like a craftsman with four units. And so she like handpicks like people that come in and she was like, I looked you up before you got here and I was like, okay, that, yeah, that's like, makes sense. I guess we're like going to be more than neighbors. It feels like she was like, you got the Adrian Shelley grant to make your undergrad thesis film. And I was oh, like, wow. yeah. And she was like, she was my best friend. Oh my I lived God. with her for 10 years in New York. Whoa. And I was like, that's crazy. And I didn't really know much about her besides the fact that she was an actor turned director, which like I used to act and I, mm-hmm. whatever, that's how I got into directing. And she was like, yeah. And she was like, come in, come to my apartment. And so I didn't even see my apartment that I was like looking to get first. I went into hers and she had pictures of her everywhere. Like they went to be you together. She's the godmother to her daughter. And like, I think her daughter was like three when she died. And like, she was just telling me all about her. And 
we ended up, she ended up like having, like having this, like really, she really wanted to have this like close bond with me, but I didn't really have any connection with her besides like, I, I think they, they gave me $2,500 for my, my undergrad thesis film, which was like huge for me because I didn't sure. have any money, but yeah, it was like a random connection. And so, and the only film that I had seen of hers before this was Waitress, yeah. which, you know, the one that got turned into the musical. I don't know, that whole story is just so crazy to me because it's like already hard to like... Yeah, I like re-looked it up after watching the movie. I was like, what's so fucking... Cr- it's, it was really... such a weird news story. It just feels surreal. Yeah. She was telling me that like, she like had an office in Greenwich Village that she would write yeah. in. And she complained about, like, she was, like, yelling out the window because the construction was, like, really loud. Right. And the construction guy just, like, came in and broke into her apartment and strangled her. Yeah. Really. He changed his story a couple times, but none of it seemed good. Yeah. Like, he, like, tried to make it look like a suicide and everyone was like, yeah. she would have never killed herself. Right, um, right. I didn't know, and I didn't know anything about Adrian Shelley until I heard about her death. Like, I didn't know who she was at the time because I was younger um, and it was, I remember it was like right before Waitress went it to It was right Sundance. before Waitress came out, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. that's still the only one I haven't seen. I wanted to watch Waitress and I didn't have time. I love her first movie, Sudden Manhattan. It's really fucking good. Really? I haven't seen it. It's really but... cool. I think it's also, it might be another one that you could find on YouTube or somewhere, or it's like mm-hmm. probably on Tubi or something. It's kind of like an after hours-esque, like New York comedy. It's really fun. But she just seemed... Obviously, it doesn't you know matter because uh, like how she seemed because she, it was an awful death. But like, yeah, she just yeah. seemed really fucking sweet and was obviously incredibly talented. It was crazy because the neighbor was telling me that she had died like two weeks before she would have found out that she got into Sundance for Waitress. Which oh, yeah, it was, it was wild. But I was watching I'll Take You There because I had seen Waitress first. I didn't put I like I don't know why I didn't put together. This was the one right before that. But it was like it just felt to me like I was watching like especially because the quality I watched on YouTube. But it was like. Like I was watching like a recorded play. I don't. There's something about like the visual design of it. It felt like very artificially composed, especially like the writing. I don't know how you guys felt about. I don't. It just felt so '90s. The girl, the like main girl's desire to get this guy to think that she was cool after he just like eviscerated her after only one date. Right. And that being like the driving force of the film made me so uncomfortable because I'm yeah. like, it only went on one date and he just like went in on her and like called her ordinary or something. And then from then on, she was like, it felt like the genesis of like the manic pixie dream girl where she was like, you want me to be out of the extraordinary? And she's just like, I don't know. It didn't like commit to any tone. And it's like, what is this? It's super 90s. It definitely is like very much a part of that like 90s Sundance school of filmmaking. So I don't know. I mean, there's a part of it and we can talk about it in a second, I guess, if you want to, because I, again, I don't think a lot of people have seen this movie. I'm sure a lot of people have seen Waitress and probably know who Adrienne Shelley is through that. I think there was also a documentary that came out about her. Was it last year or the year before? It was like an HBO documentary. Made by her husband. Oh, shit. Okay. So then it was probably good. It wasn't like that horrible Brittany Murphy Brittany one. Brittany Murphy one? I, I couldn't finish. Oh, I didn't watch it. I just it. couldn't. It it's, it's, it's unbelievable to it's, stay away from it. It's awful. Yeah. Courtney, tell people what, what I'll take you there is about. I think you kind of nailed it. It is sort of like a manic pixie story. I think it's the, the problem with the movie or not necessarily the problem, but what, what makes it interesting that it sort of feels trapped between a couple of genres. But it's about this dude. It like it, you're 
your your main tether in the movie is uh, this dude named Bill who co- kind of looks like a low rent Judd Nelson to me. And yeah. uh, his wife, Rose, leaves him. And then by urging of his sister, played by director Adrian Shelley, he gets set up with Ali Sheedy's character, Bernice. Sheedy, I think, was like going through like a little bit of a renaissance in this time too, I just want to point out. I, I'm a big Ali Sheedy person. What um, was the movie she was in? High Art? Yeah, that like was the Lisa Chalandenko movie. She's so, she's I haven't seen it. You should see it. And like you were saying, they go on one date and because he's just like in the solipsistic haze of both like kind of like loving your own pain and like being actually in pain, he just like, yeah, verbally abuses this poor woman who was like seemingly like confident and joyful. And then she sort of spirals out of control. He and her go on sort of like an excess baggage meets you know it's like that fucking buffalo 66 like now i mean it it does feel like an inverse buffalo 66 yeah yeah she takes him on a journey to her grandma's house and then you know surprise surprise they they fall in love is that that's sort of the movie and the whole time he's like having flashbacks and like trying to get over his girlfriend uh, sorry ex-wife i will say like even though it does feel sort of like a raggedy trope from this period that I think that like we liked reviving in the nineties, like it happened one night, I think it was like from like 1932 and it's basically the same story too. So it's like, we do think that there's something horny about people being trapped together, which I agree with. And like something wild does it. I think sure, that this movie yeah. and something wild have a lot in common, but I think right. that like this one is peculiar because the lead is so shitty. <laughs> You're just like, well, I saw, well, yeah, I read somebody say that, this like feels maybe if it was John Cusack, I would well, yeah, that's it. what I was gonna say. So, I saw somebody say that it feels like it was supposed to be John Cusack and Parker Posey, and they had to settle for who they got. Ooh. And I do like Ali Sheedy, I do think it's a better movie with Parker Posey or Jennifer Jason Lee. Yeah, but, like, uh, yeah, but I kind of well, like it because it's like, what if the manic pixie dream girl, like, and I'm not saying Ali Sheedy's not cute, but like, what if it if she isn't just like a solid 10, like they all are? Like, what if she's just like an eight, like just as attractive, more attractive than the lead, but right. she's just like fucking actually crazy and will rob a store? Like, I'm like, I like that on paper. There's one thing that she said that made me laugh where she like surprises him at the pawn shop and she was just like, yeah, ever since our date, I haven't been able to sleep i haven't been able to eat or brush my hair yeah i was like i i think that the screenplay's kind of good at times i wish that sometimes it like got like a second walkthrough or like mostly like yeah a better lead <laughs> his name is reg rogers no. sick, sick name that's my boy reg rogers no i agree like it doesn't really commit to anything so it feels like it doesn't really work as a romantic comedy but then it's really not committing to the darkness of it and yeah, it doesn't it's like have... just go full make him unlikable then you know right or, right which yeah, like yeah. buffalo 66 does it's like okay this guy's a this guy's a piece of shit that know? scene where like they're driving to her grandma's house and she has the gun pointed to him and is like i feel like even the, her performance was like half in half out like i'm flirting or like i'm actually gonna put this gun in your fucking mouth and then it was like then they pull over and she just like dances with him and she has the gun to him and then he's like his performance is like oh my god i'm falling in love with this woman who has like a gun pointed <laughs> at my head and i'm like what the I, fuck yeah. is going on it was just like so she's it's got like, such a free spirit <laughs> yeah, oh my god. yeah i do see and then i do think me. that's funny but yeah it's like not yeah that could have been really funny if it committed to it it would 
would have been really funny or if it, yeah it was like these two really broken people it kind of does get at the fact that like no this woman's genuinely like mentally ill she's not a manic fixer like she needs help yeah her but grandma it doesn't... says something really dark her grandma's like i kind of been waiting for her to like fall off the deep end her whole life but i was like <laughs> Fuck, if yeah. someone said that about me, I would just disappear. Like, that's like my worst fear. Can't like, believe she made it this far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's literally like hearing someone say that about me. He's like, oh. His divorce is also told like pretty. It's like the scenes in um, Kicking and Screaming. Yeah, which is another movie like definitely has a lot. Like, I feel like there's like the 90s canon of indie films like this, or I haven't seen any How Hartley movies, which I know Adrian Shelley acted in a lot. I've never I, gotten Yeah, it made into, me want to watch that. Yeah, I've never seen I've any seen of this the stuff. ones with Parker Posey. Okay. I haven't seen How Hartley's, but I, I mean, the, the only thing I've seen Parker Posey in the, from the 90s is like House of Yes. Have you guys seen that? Yeah, of I course. You've to. never I've seen Party Girl? No, I've never seen Party Girl. You have to see you Party. You should see Party Girl. It's really Party fun. Girl's like Party Girl's up there for me. Um, Parker Posey's like probably my top five favorite actresses, though. I, I've always wanted to see uh, House of Yes. I haven't seen it though. I kind of like Ali Sheedy. Yeah, it is hot. It's like maybe the best Freddie Prince Jr.'s ever been. Fuck yeah, I'm in Freddie Prince. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> like hot incest, where you're like uncomfortable because you're like, why am I so turned on? Is Rachel Lee Cook in it too or no? Yeah, she is. She if is? Okay, like some, that's why I knew If you like some weird incest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I kind of like Alice Sheedy here, especially because like that first scene that we see her, she looks insane. And I kind of think that is funny. She like, does look fucked so up. Her hair is so bonkers. Yeah. Her style yeah. is wild. Like how point she just puts on her prom dress. Yeah. 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 That, that rocks. That, like scene at the bar, their date was like actually very, it felt very experimental. It was just like all of a sudden, all of the noise from the bar drowned out and mm -hmm. it was the whistling of the bartender. And it was like, that's when I was like, am I in like a Tennessee Williams play? Where it was just like, it was like very in like the hard light coming in from the window. And her like hair, it was just like. Her hair looks felt, awful. It she, like, like, she looks like a music teacher. Yes. Um, just yeah. felt very like horrific. Even the way they like used sound to transition where you like still hear like the like pawn shop laughter in the back of ha, -ha. Mm -hmm. and, like there's another scene happening already it's just like isolating sounds like i felt like adrian shelley was like experimenting I had... shit was not conventional to like romantic comedies and it felt it started to feel like horrific no i think yeah like i think that's like the more interesting version of it where it fully kind of commits to the bit and like does try to i guess like dissect romantic comedies of that time and I guess the rise of the manic pixie girl. Cause I guess that, that wasn't even a thing at that point, or at least it wasn't like I mean, that had that term. Had yeah. Yeah. The coin. term, I don't think it came from, coined, um, but. it came from Kirsten Dunst in Elizabeth town. That's what Woof. started it. I didn't know that. I don't know. Cause again, I haven't seen waitress, but I, I feel like that was her most well-received movie. It also has like the most well-known cast. cast. Yeah, yeah. 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 But that's like a pretty sweet comedy, right? Yeah. Yeah, I remember having a good time, having a ball. Yeah, this movie feels the, like a little more like unconventional compared to because yeah, Southern Manhattan's movie. definitely I think like a more successful dark comedy. It's pretty like consistent. Like it still feels like scrappy and kind of grungy, but it feels like the vision at least is like pretty consistently. Like it knows what it's trying to be. I kept you wanting should... to really like it. I kept wanting to like give into it and be like, oh yeah, this is like a fun like lost '90s gem, but. 
I guess it, a lot of it was that main actor. I don't know if a better yeah, actor. Yeah, it is. I like the scene in the car that was a flashback that like the ex-wife is like, I don't want to play this fucking game. And I was like, yeah. Yeah, I did like that too. That was the only flashback that felt really personal. Yeah, that's the thing because it was like the first flashback where the husband that stole his wife is like against, it's just in a black void just getting massaged by somebody and he was like like a realtor and he was selling i was like why am i watching this guy who he sold the house to and i'm never gonna see him again and it wasn't yeah that thing in the car where i was like oh that was that guy also like their meet cute or whatever is like she's getting kicked out of another boyfriend's house so i think there's like these like we're supposed to also dislike the girlfriend and think that she's like a flighty person that just like lily pads from one boyfriend to the next but like their meet cute besides the fact that she's hot is spooky she just like yeah my boyfriend kicked me out of my house because his friend was hitting on me what are you up to i would just be like (laughs) goodbye (laughs) yeah if you can't read the signs right you know what's so funny is that one of my professors at afi also went to bu with adrian shelley my old neighbor and my neighbor was like, oh, but don't bring her up to her because they don't talk because Adrian stole her boyfriend in college, which is Any- so- Would she really be still upset about that? Like even after her death? This professor's pretty wacko tobacco, but I just thought that was interesting. I don't care I don't if know. she's dead. I'll never forget that. <laughs> well, that like end scene where like he shows up at his ex-wife's house with the new guy, this because he's there, the wife just kind of goes, I miss him. I, I know him and in a very like monotoned, almost like Stepford wife tone. I don't know. I don't know. I couldn't figure out like why she was directed. To, I don't know. The, all the women in the film, except honestly for Adrian Shelley's character. Yeah. Felt like props. And yeah. I felt like that too. To, like, and I was like, why move... did you give yourself the only. Yeah. They were there to like move his character's character. story. Yeah. Forward, but they well, didn't I have guess... that, like spine. Yeah. I mean, I guess like, cause I didn't really get this from it, but like. I, Again, like there's not a lot out there on the movie. Like I couldn't even really get any like production background or like really like any interviews with Adrian Shelley. I'm assuming it was made for like nothing because it looks like it It was. It looks like it. Yeah. Yeah. It looks like it was made 10 years before. Yeah. It doesn't look very good, which is fine. Like whatever. I read this New York Times article where she was interviewed in it and like like an actor just didn't show up like on the day. And so she just like had a crew member like step in. She didn't specify what role it was. It was the main guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, was, he was supposed to gaff the film. Can you please fucking do this for me? We thought John Cusack was coming, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's not. Yeah, I watched the ending credits and there was definitely not a lot of people credited at all. So I was like, okay. I mean, which like I'm... You know, I I respect being able to make something for like nothing, obviously, but I guess it just didn't even really have like, I don't know, there's a lot of movies from that era, I feel like, especially like that Sundance era of indies where it was like actual like indies playing at the festival, where there is like a scrappiness to a lot of them that fucking works. But there's something about this that I guess like if you could did want to read into it, like from some people that I was reading online, like we're saying that it is kind of a deconstruction of like the romantic comedy where everything is in service of like the guy where it's like a woman is there to help him get back on his feet. And she only exists as Mm -hmm. like a prop in his life to help him get over somebody else. I mean, I just never really felt like, I don't know, like that didn't really come through for me. Like I understand how somebody can maybe get that from it. Or want to see that in it, but I just never yeah. But the really movie kind of goes to a lot of lengths to making him seem likable. Like the end, I think we're supposed to be like, oh, finally, 
I, I don't understand why the girl, even though she's like un, unwell, like keeps coming back to him. Like he tries to leave after they hook up the first time and she like sneaks into the car. She sneaks into the car wearing a sheet. Yeah. Like, like, but knowing that he's going to leave it, like it gets to the car before him. And then at the end, she's like, when he gets her the tuba, she's like, oh, you're only getting this because your wife decided not to be with you again. And he was like, yeah, Yeah, I am. (laughs) And then he like goes in for a kiss. And it was like, what the? I think I audibly said, what the hell? I'm settling for you. Yeah. Also, like, 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 you're absolutely right. Get over here. He thinks he's a lot more stable than he is, too. Because he's, like, shocked when she robs a store, but then he's, like, perfectly okay, like, holding up the new boyfriend. Yeah. And then also going back to, like, how um, his ex-wife, like, kind of isn't shit. um, He's, like, where is she when he gets there and the new boyfriend lies and says that she's like gone to visit her mom but she's actually hiding and the ex-husband's like well no it's 11 p.m right now and she or a.m right now and she never wakes up till like one and or something it was like it's a oh, wild yeah, time and i was like it's like she she, she i know that fucking deadbeat isn't he <laughs> yeah i was like this fucking woman. wake her ass up Tell her ex-husband's here with a gun <laughs> yeah i mean i don't want to like shit on it or anything yeah well, apparently it opened a Telluride and it like was so successful. This really screening that they added five more screenings and they were all sold out. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. How maybe how much like, the festivals have changed. <laughs> well, or I was just going to say, like, maybe, maybe the things that are like so glaring to us, unfortunately, were just kind of like women be crazy. Like, I think the, the trope was like, yeah, like, I do think some of it is just like where where we were unfortunately even when i looked up reviews of it you can't even really read a lot of reviews on it outside of like a variety you can't but it was featured on roger ebert at the movies episode where he was like talking about telluride movies but i didn't realize it was like this huge success there because it didn't even get like distribution right yeah there was like a new york times article like that was written right after the telluride stuff and before it got distribution written in a really positive light and like talking about how it's like guerrilla filmmaking and like they got less it was less than a million dollars to make it which like at that time was probably like nothing and the main producer used his own personal funds to fund the rest, which I don't know. It didn't say how much he put in, but he was like, he used to be a litigator huh. and that's what he had money and like, just like put his own money into it. And like, she had gotten the script and write the script and she was like, her pass on it was just to like, to justify every single character's actions and like make everyone, I forget what the quote is. It's crazy how much more money there was in the fucking 90s. <laughs> People, it was know. so much easier to get fucking money to make a movie. Jesus Christ. Back then? In the 90s? Yeah. You think I don't think so. Well, because there like was now- so much money floating around from rentals, especially like the 90s and mm-hmm. 2000s when it came into like, well, because I think there's like the post like 90s Sundance boom where they're, yeah, like yeah. where they're like, oh, fuck, we can find like the next great movie at a festival that was yeah. made for like $800,000. So I guess like more money as far as like studios, were, like studios obviously were taking more risks and being like, yeah, fuck it, we'll roll the dice on this movie because we have all this extra money from fucking rentals and shit like that. So all the profits from that made it easier it's harder in different ways now i for sure i think obviously there's more avenues that you can pursue but i don't think people are taking as many risks or rolling right. the, dice on yeah. the way that they would because i don't think a movie like this even this movie would have such a hard time getting financing right now i mean rom-coms are also i mean i think that they're about ready to have a big comeback but i also feel like this genre in, in general is kind of in like a dead period but like 
sometimes when you watch one that's like done really well, like my favorite, uh, while you're sleeping where you're like, Oh, everyone is like, like our character is like a monster, but like, I love her and I find her relatable. Like this movie doesn't have that. And it's not necessarily because like the premise is like worse or crazier, just like there's something like not working along with like, I think that they're both a little miscast. Like they also have no sexual chemistry. Like, I feel like he was constantly on the verge of like crying or throwing up. And there was like, (laughs) yeah, yeah. He constantly like unwell and he's going to kill himself. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. Fucking what? He's about to fucking. Did his friend say that? Like that was a suggestion. Yeah, you should kill life. yourself. Yeah, his friend just like was like, like look, you if you're not yourself. gonna get better, just kill yourself already. <laughs> <laughs> the movie, should, yeah, I mean, like it really could have gone in a different. Like it easily could have turned into this guy, like basically doing like a murder suicide of him and his ex wife, like showing up at her house. Mm-hmm. It could have like turned into in the bedroom in like a second. You should have never left. <laughs> Now I'm stuck with this lady, <laughs> this tuba player. Yeah. The tuba thing. Yeah, is, and the scene, I do good. kind of like she's performance in the scene where like she thinks then that the new boyfriend's gonna kill them all. And she's like going through with him together of like who he has to kill and how to dispose of their bodies in the basement. <laughs> Yeah, and I was like, this is weird, but that's like, also I don't crazy because like that guy, point. that guy definitely was about to kill him. He pulls the trigger on him. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, that was like, dark. Like, <laughs> like that that could have been so much funnier if like the moment after pull the trigger and then no one addresses it and everyone kind of just like no, he just goes to jail. Like, a, cop, a cop just shows up. There was like no conflict after that. It was just like, and then he just like drops her off somewhere. The girl, he just like goes into the pawn shop and trades in the gun for the tuba. He goes yeah. to the pawn shop and the guy's like, how's, how's that gun I sold you? Working out. <laughs> Did you kill anybody? And he's like, yeah. it doesn't work. And he's like, oh, question. I sold you the wrong gun. <laughs> like, I'd like to trade this also, gun for I mean, a tuba. That, I mean, that guy's a really shitty pawn shop owner because like, I think that the lead sells um, a necklace for like $700 that he got for like $1,000. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure you're doing pawn shop wrong. <laughs> yeah. Well, the guy like gives him the gun. He's like, He's like trying to sell him money. He's like, you need that gun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just... everything, everything just felt so convenient. Oh, and the guy's like, yeah. I don't have my gun license. And he's like, I'll just turn the other cheek. Fuck it. I mean, that part's not unrealistic, but <laughs> whatever. <laughs> Some guy showing up looking like he hasn't slept in a week talking about his divorce and then buying a gun. And the guy being yeah. like, I'll just look the other way. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> there, there's like, it, it happens in a few movies um which is like nothing about being in like a potential partner's like family home familiar home makes me horny <laughs> like no like nothing about it it happens in how to lose a guy in 10 days too like the first thing they fuck oh is in, like, yeah their parents boathouse shower oh that's it's probably right. like a bad septic system but i'm just like get me out of here why are you just fucking in Mima's house like just save it that he listens to her grandma. Like, she's like, oh, I, we, I'm waiting a long time for a guy like her to bring a guy like you around. And it's like, like, she's holding you hostage right now. Grandma is going to convince you to fall in love with her. She's oh, well, the grandma help. hasn't brushed her hair forever. Yeah, she's oh, like, yeah. supposed to be really funny, like, but it's oh, like, doesn't... doesn't. Yeah, she's into yeah. it. She's down when he's brushing her hair. Yeah, it's just like the movie hasn't gotten me to the place where like, like, yeah, I'm just like, I just don't think it's funny does have a 43 percent and a 36 percent audience score the only review that i could really find on it was from todd mccarthy of variety 
It said Adrian Shelley's second feature behind the camera after Sudden Manhattan in 1996 is a semi-engaging, semi-irritating New York indie about a semi-deranged woman who bullies a semi-depressed man into a semi-romance. Brightly mounted low-budgeter possesses enough charm to please sympathetic viewers looking for a quirky offbeater, but young urban edge seekers will find it far too lightweight to warrant their attention. Okay, an urban edge seeker? That's oh. us. We're your young urban edge seekers. Urban edge lords? Yeah, I don't know. That's that's really the only review on it. When I looked it up on Letterboxd, people like it. People tend to like it. Also, at the end of talking about each movie, is always just are we annoyed over we think is the MVP of the movie? Oh yeah. <laughs> I don't know who the MVP of this fucking movie is. <laughs> I guess Ali Sheedy. I was, I mean I Fuck still it. think it's Ali Sheedy. <laughs> it's the director not, uh... also gave a good performance in like the five minutes that she went. She was like, Can she you gave the best performance. <laughs> she did give the best. Maybe it's the car. Oh, you're the pawn shop guy. The bullshit guy who looks the other way. Yeah. Um, Maybe, maybe whoever costumed her fucking unhinged outfit. I feel like they, Ali, they probably told Ali she needed to just do her own hair. Yeah. Okay, so it's either um, the car or Ali Sheedy or maybe Adrian (laughs) Shelley's performance. I don't know. It is crazy. Like back then, you couldn't really like. We can make as many shorts as we want because of like our accessibility to like cameras and shit. But like she like had to practice with like features which sounds psychotic Mm -hmm. so yeah yeah i will give her the benefit of the doubt because waitress is actually great where can people where can people find you on the internet to watch my work um my instagram actually has the link to my thesis website where you can go to donate to Uh, donate yeah but yeah that's that's where i'm at i'm getting ready to my thesis so baby director here but thanks for having me this was fun absolutely Um, watch giselle's films and and donate to her thesis online please because it's hard to make things the bullfighter.net for sure we'll we'll please come back yeah (laughs) yeah thanks for having me nice to meet you courtney bye (laughs) <laughs> Office Killer, I feel like you have to go rent at the video store or online somewhere. I think I got it on Amazon. You can yeah. rent it on Amazon, yeah. For some reason, it's like more expensive than other older movies. I don't, I don't I know. know why. Do you think that's a Halloween thing? I don't think so. I think it's okay. maybe they just know like, that you can't find it anywhere else. And I'll take you there. It's on YouTube in full. Yeah. And you can watch, you know, some of her other movies too that might be a, a little bit better. You haven't seen Sudden Manhattan, you said? No, I haven't. I've always, I've like wanted to and I just haven't done I think it. you would like it. It's a lot better. I know and she's I the main like actress in it, which is cool. Oh, it's on YouTube. Oh. Perfect. There you go. Never Looks mind. like all of her movies are on YouTube. Someone yeah. needs to put them out so her daughter can get residuals. Yeah, Jesus Christ. I mean, oh, well, I got, you got the waitress musical residuals. Probably. That's going to make her a lot more money than I'll take you there for sure. And we will have our bonus episode of the month coming out this week on Catherine Bigelow's Strange Days. Next week, I guess Office Killer is a perfect little segue into yeah our spooky, spooky month. town. Our spooky month. Yeah, we're kicking off our third annual Rotten Horrors. I know. I'm right? really excited for this one. I It's like we get to watch Unfriended 1 and 2. We get to watch Hollow Man. We get to watch... Death Becomes Her. Death Becomes Her, duh. But I think Unfriended is maybe what I'm looking forward to the most. The second one is like genuinely really dark, which is funny. You're just like, oh my God. But yeah, we'll we'll have a fun, fun little month for you. If you're listening, you're listening on Patreon. We thank you for being a loyal patron and subscriber to this podcast. We could not do it without you. We could, but it would, it would just wouldn't be very fun. You fulfill us. So thank you. Um, <laughs> make sure you follow us on Instagram and Twitter if you haven't already. And yeah, we will we'll see you next week for some spooky yeah. stuff. Bye.